The last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've been talking about hope. We've been talking about hope for the last five weeks, and this morning, we move on to what is a two-week series, talking about what our responsibility is to share the love of Jesus with those around us and with those who are far away from us. So every year, if you've been a part of Mount Hope uh, for a while, you know that in October, we do what we call our global outreach celebration. And so this week and next week, this is what we're talking about. When Jesus left this earth, one of the last things he said to his disciples was they were to go and make other disciples. That they were to go and share his love with other people. And so this morning, what we're talking about is what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility when it comes to sharing that love with those who are around us? And next week, we'll talk about what is our responsibility when it comes to sharing God's love with those who are around the world, especially those groups that may never have had the chance to hear before. And so we'll be doing more of that next week. But this morning, we'll talk about what is our responsibility when it comes to those who are right around us. You know, it has become very trendy, and, and you probably recognize this, and, and, and I see it as well. It's become very trendy, hasn't it, to do good in our culture. It's become very trendy. More than, more than it used to be, it's become trendy. It's become a part of social media culture. It's become a part of a lot of what we do. It has become very trendy. It's become stylish to do good in our culture. Every once in a while, when I go to the grocery store, I will, you know, get whatever I need there at the grocery store, and I'll take it to the cash register. And the, the person, the cashier, will ring everything up. And before I pay, they'll say something like, and would you like to donate a dollar to, and then you fill in the blank. Would you like to donate, before you pay, would you like to donate a dollar to, and then whatever charity the, the company is, is representing. And Inevitably, when that happens, you look around the front end of the store and on the walls and sometimes hanging from strings strung across the ceiling are hot air balloons or stars or whatever it would be that, with people's name. And it's the names of the people that have said, yes, before I pay for my groceries, I would like to give a dollar to the, this charity. And everywhere that we look, there are opportunities to do good. It's becoming something that is more and more a part of our culture. Every weekend, in fact, I, I promise you that there is one this morning somewhere. Every weekend, there is a 5K until the dead of winter in a surrounding town around us. I promise you that there's one happening this morning. There are 5Ks, there are 5K races being run all the time. You see the signs on the streets, you see the postings on, on the internet, 5Ks being run. And if you wanted to run a 5K every single weekend, you could. There's one always happening around us. And every 5K that's being run is associated with some sort of charity so that everybody who is running the 5K is then donating or giving to that charity. And it's become a whole culture, whether that is, is the, the Spartan races or the Tough Mudders or 5Ks or whatever. There is an entire culture of running races and having the money go towards something that is good. In fact, you can do good. You don't even have to run a race. You can do good if you're willing just to take a bucket of ice cold water and dump it over your head. It's that simple. You can do good if you're willing to do that and challenge other people to do the same. And the ALS Foundation 
says that over $100 million has been raised just from people being willing to take ice buckets of water and dump it over their head and challenge other people to do the same. Doing good, being a part of something bigger than ourselves, is something that is, is very, it's trendy in our culture. People want to be a part of it. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to be a part of it? All of us want to do good things. We want to do good things. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to help other people those who are less fortunate. We want to be a part of solving the disease problem. We want to be a part of, of curing cancer. We want to be a part of feeding those who are in need. And so, and so we're happy to be a part of this. It's, it's become something that's a part of our culture more and more to do good. And it's not just individuals who are doing good. It has become uh, more than ever before a part of the corporate culture in our country to do good. And it's not just Tom's shoes anymore giving one for one. Every time you buy a pair of Tom's shoes, they give a pair of shoes to someone around the world. It's not just Tom's shoe. In fact, Forbes magazine says that nearly every major corporation, in fact, they would say all of the Fortune 100 or Forbes 100 companies, all of those companies have social justice and doing good, not just as something they encourage their employees to do, but it is now a part of their core business strategy. Doing good and, and being a part of things that are good socially, it's not just something that, w- that companies encourage their employees to do or they take a donation every year to the United Way from the employees. It's now a part of the core business strategy. I was reading in, in Inc. magazine this week that they were making the argument that the most profitable companies are the ones who are doing this. In fact, in today's day and age, if you want your company to be viable, if you want it to be profitable, then it better have as one of its core values doing good. There's an author named Tim Sanders, and he says in his book, in his book Saving the World at Work, he says that almost 70% of Americans, if price is the same, will, go, will buy the products from the company that they feel like does good things on the social level. And that almost 70% of college graduates today say they will only work for a company with whom they agree with their social morals and the social work that they're doing. Well, more than ever before, it's not just individuals that are doing good. It's corporations that are doing good. It's a big part of what it means to be a part of our culture right now, doing good. The thing that happens when people do good is that when people do good, whether that's an individual or whether that's a corporation, when people do good, somebody's name is being made great. When people do good, somebody's name is being made great. I used to work uh, in sales. I was an, an account executive for a company, and one of our sales training, they brought in the, one of the executives from Life is Good. You know Life is Good. They stamp that phrase over anything they can find to stamp it on, and they sell it to us. Life is Good. And he came in, and he said that they do not, in their company, at that time it was $900 million a year company, that they do not spend any money on marketing at Life is Good. Instead, they take their entire, what would be their marketing budget, and they hold community events that benefit 
the community and benefit organizations. So maybe you're familiar with the Life is Good Watermelon Festival that happens every year on the Boston Common. Those are the sort of things that they do. Rather than, than run television commercials and radio ads and print ads and billboards, they take all of that money and they run community events. And he said what they have found is the return on investment, what they get in making the Life is Good name great, their name becomes far greater, far greater in doing good than it ever would if they bought a bunch of billboards or printed up a bunch of flyers or advertised on the internet. Whenever good is done, someone's name is being made great, even if it's on a, on a, a small level. If we're honest, when the cashier asks us if we want to give a dollar, it's less about the charity, whatever the charity is that, that they've just mentioned, and more about not wanting the cashier to think that we're cheap or we like the idea of our name on a star up in the store. And it becomes more about that in that moment than it really does about the charity that's being supported. We, we don't want our name to be made less by, by saying no. We feel a pressure there to say, sure, you will, I'll give you a dollar. Uh, there's something in there that even if it's on a smaller level, when we do good, someone's name is being made great. And if we're honest, when we run the 5K uh, or we won the race, it's less about which charities are being, uh, being donated to, and it's more about the fact that we get to be with friends and we get to be motivated to stay in shape. It's really more about doing things for ourselves than it is for doing things about others. It's nice that, that there's organizations attached to these things, but at the end of the day, for many of us, we, we're doing it for a different reason. When good is done, someone's name is made great, be it an individual or a corporation. I don't mean to say that doing good is wrong. It's very clear in the Bible that we should be doing things that are good. That's, that's all throughout the scripture. In fact, I have a couple of verses just for us to consider together when it comes to this idea of doing good. Is it something that we should do? Well, the Bible, I think, is very clear. For example, in James chapter 4, verse 17, this is what it says. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Colossians 1.10. And we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In Hebrews 10.24. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it's obvious then, right? We should be doing good things. Doing good isn't something that's just a cultural fad. It's not something that's just a corporate fad right now. It's not something that just companies are doing to make more money. It is something that as followers of Jesus, as people who say we believe in this book and follow him, it is something, doing good things is something that we should do. I know that all seems obvious, but here's the tricky part. When we look in this book, one thing that becomes clear is that our definition of doing good and God's definition of doing good can be two very different things. 
In fact, we can do things that people around us will see and think are very good things to do. We can be a part of doing good in our world. We can be a part of doing good for other people. And according to this book, according to how God sees it, even though we're doing good things to God, it's really not that good at all. And the difference isn't so much the activity that we're doing. The difference isn't so much whether or not we're doing a certain activity. The difference between whether or not God would consider uh, an activity good or not so good isn't so much the activity itself. The difference is much more with the reason behind why we do what we do. It's not so much the activity itself. It's why we do it. Why we're a part of doing good. Why we are at the race. Why we're at the the homeless shelter. Why we are a part of being a part of missions here at Mount Hope. Why we're at the activities that we're doing as a church. It's not so much the activities themselves, but why we're doing it that makes all the difference. So what then is the difference between those things that we're doing in our community that are considered good and those things that God would say are not so good? What is the difference? Well, Jesus makes it quite clear for us. And in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount. And so people had gathered, and Jesus was on a hillside, and he was teaching, and he he taught a number of different things. And one of the things that he taught is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And this is what Jesus says about this very issue in doing good. And when it's good, and when it's not. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When it comes to doing good things and our relationship with God, I think most of us, and and I fall into this trap, and, and maybe you know folks that do, maybe you fall into this trap. Most of us think that the reason we do good things is so that we get on God's good side. We think that we do good things because God is standing up in heaven and in front of him is a giant scale for each of us. And he has different weights. And every time we do something that's wrong, God takes a certain sized weight, depending on how wrong that activity is, and he puts it on the side of the scale that represents all the wrong things that we've done. And anytime we do something that's good, God takes a different sized weight based on the goodness of the activity, and he puts it on the side that is the good side. And our hope is by the end of our lives, whenever that may be, that there's more weight on the good side than on the bad side so that the scale tips and God lets us into heaven. That's how we, most of us approach our relationship with God and doing good things. Really, there's no difference between God and that scenario than Santa. God and Santa act the exact same way. God knows who's naughty or nice, and the nice people get the good gifts, and the naughty people don't. And that's how most of us approach our relationship with God. In fact, Every religious system 
that is out there, apart from the Christian faith, works on this sort of system. Every religious system that is out there works on this system. That it's about what I do to impress God enough that he would let me in. And if I do enough good things so that God is really, really impressed with me, then I get through the gates. That's how every religious system works. In fact, even within Christian church sometimes, that's how it works, and that's how it's preached. That that's how God operates. Well, one thing that's clear in, in Scripture, in fact, it's said very clearly, Paul says it very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He says, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not your works, it's by grace. In fact, he says very clearly, it's not of works, so that no one can boast in those verses. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. He says it very clearly. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what Christ has done on the cross. So that the Christian faith is the only faith that would say it's not about following some sort of religious rules. It's not about being a good enough person. It's about what Christ has done on the cross for us. And if we would trust in him and we would believe in him, that we might be saved, not based on what we've done, but what he has done on our behalf. Yet the Bible says we should still do good things. So why? If it has nothing to do with what, if if our good works have nothing to do with whether or not we're saved, then why should we be doing them? Why is that not just a ticket to do whatever we want? Why should we still be doing them? Well, that's where what Jesus comes, says here, is so important. Jesus says we shouldn't do good things to make our name great to make a company's name great because we think that somehow we'll get on God's good side. We should do good things because as followers of Christ, it is a part of our identity. As followers of Christ, it is who we are. Not just something we do on the weekends when we, when we go uh, to an event or not just something that we do when the cashier asks us for a dollar. Doing good and, and, and doing the right thing is not just something that we do to earn God's favor. It is who we are. Jesus says to the, to the people that are listening to him, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And it's an interesting phrase because over and over again in Scripture, God is called the light. And when Jesus comes to this earth, right there in the beginning of the book of John, he is called the light of the world. So here you have God is the light, and his son Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And here Jesus is saying to his followers, now you are the light of the world. If I am in you, and you follow me, and I live in you, and you in me, then now you are the one who is to reflect the light of God into the dark places in this world. You are the ones who carry that with you. In fact, what Jesus is saying is, I'm not giving you my love so that it stops with you. Many of us approach it that way. That we receive salvation and we receive God's love and it stops with us. 
But Jesus says, you're not to be a wall, you're to be a window in which the light of Christ, in which the light of myself and the light of God would shine through. This is who you are. It doesn't stop with you. You're a conduit to take it to those who are around you. You are the light of the world. And then he uses two examples. He says a city on a hill can't be hidden. And he's absolutely talking about the city of Jerusalem, which is built up on Mount Zion. And his whole audience would be familiar with that city. You're like Jerusalem, he says, where no matter where you are, you can see that city sitting up on a hill. That's you. You're the light of the world. No matter where you are, people should see you reflecting me as you live. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or hide it. Rather, they take that lamp and they hang it up in the house where it gives light to the entire room. People should see you, he's saying. People should see you living in such a way that they see my light. And the biggest difference between doing good, the way most of us think about doing good, and doing good the way God calls us to, is found in that last verse that Jesus gives us. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what does he say there? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The main difference between the way that most people think about doing good and the way that God talks about us doing good as followers of Christ is he says, if you are a follower of Christ, if that's who you are, if that's your identity, then you should be doing things in a way in which God gets the glory. Not for your own salvation, because it's dependent upon what Jesus did. And not so that your name becomes great or you feel better about yourself, and certainly not to impress God, because he's perfect, and he requires us to be perfect, and none of us can live up to that standard. So we're certainly not doing good things to impress him. But he says, because you are mine, because you are my children, reflect my light in such a way that people see you in how you're living, and they worship me. Live in such a way that, that, that you're doing good, but that God gets the glory. That's what Jesus says. Whenever someone does good, someone's name is made great. Do good, Jesus says, so that God's name is made great. A couple years ago, um, George Clooney and Bono decided that they were going to fix Sudan, which was ambitious. They were going to fix the entire refugee problem in Sudan, and so they went over there. And George Clooney came back saying something very interesting. George Clooney, uh, in an interview with, with CBN, he said he went over to the Sudan and tried to find who was already working with the refugees. So there was a terrible, still is, a terrible refugee situation in Sudan, a lot of violence. And so you had people living in, in tense cities and thousands of people. And George Clooney, he, got, he was touched by this and he was going to go and, and see what he could do to help and bring awareness to the situation, which is great. So George Clooney, he went and he came back and he said, I was trying to find the people, trying to find the people who were doing the work. The only people that he could find who were there on the ground already working. 
were Christians. And it so impressed him that in this interview, it's all he could talk about. He said, listen, I don't agree. I don't agree with what they believe necessarily. I don't know, I don't know that I agree with everything that, that they say. But there is no doubt that of all the people, these were the people who were showing up to do the work. These were the people who were willing to go where no one got the glory but God. These were the people who were to go when the work was the hardest and the dirtiest and the messiest. These were the people who were willing to go and do work in a way that it made God's name great. You've probably read the quotes from Mother Teresa as well. Mother Teresa certainly lived like this. And whenever anyone asked her why she did what she did, gave up her entire life to serve the poorest of the poor in India, she would simply say, Jesus called me to it. And every time I see one of these sick folks, or every time I'm caring for someone who is ill, every time I'm helping out the poor, I see the face of Jesus Christ in each one of their faces. The entire thing was not about anything other than making the name of Christ great. When we think about doing good, all of us want to do good. But there's something very different about doing good the way God calls us to do it and the way we often do it. When we do something that's good, there's something inside of us that wants our name in lights. We want our name to be recognized. We want people to know that we did it. So even if we do something good, sometimes we'll, we'll donate money and, and we just make sure that we slightly mention it to somebody. Hey, you know, I gave to that. Hey, I was a part of that. You know, I did that, that too. Because we want someone to know. We want someone to know. The good work that God's calling us to puts his name in lights. Gives him the recognition. In 1563, in Heidelberg, Germany, the Heidelberg Catechism was written. And when I say the word catechism, I know some of you go back to a very dark place when you were kids, learning catechism in some room, and it was long hours. But don't worry, I'm not going to take you through the whole thing. Catechisms are questions, a series of questions and answers, and they are written to explain faith uh, to different generations or to other people. In the Heidelberg Catechism, there is one question that I think is so helpful here. They very, in a very short way, say what I am taking a long time to say. This is the question. What are good works? And this is the answer. Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for God's glory. And not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. What are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law and are done for God's glory. And not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Whenever good is done, someone's name is made great. We are to live lives that are good in a way that God's name is made great. When I was a kid in Sunday school, we would sing a song, and maybe you sang it too. We would hold our fingers out like this, and we would sing, This Little Light of Mine, 
What's the next line? I'm going to let it shine, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And then we would take our hands and we would cover it up and we would say, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And we'd sing that over and over and over again. And that's what we're to do. We are to shine the light of Christ everywhere we go. It's not something that's confined to a Saturday workday. It's not something that's confined to when we have an opportunity to give money to something. It is just how we're supposed to be. It's a part of our identity, that the light of Christ would shine through us. Something happens as we get older. Something happens as we go along. Will we become less and less likely to let that light shine? And it's not like it gets snuffed out right away. But we think to ourselves, I'm going to live like Christ calls me to live, and I'm going to follow him, but I'm not really going to mention it to anybody because they might be offended. And I'm going, to let my, I'm going to live for Christ, and I'm going to follow him, and when it comes to being able to do good and helping people, I'll do it, but I, I'll never really talk to them about why I'm doing it. I'll do the good things, but we won't bring Jesus' name into it. It offends people. It's not politically correct. We just won't, we won't bring that name up at all. That way I can still do the good things. I can still do the good things, but I won't have to worry about, about all the rest. You know, every time we do that, the light that belongs to God is snuffed out a little bit more. It becomes hidden behind that bushel. And even though we're doing good things, the glory stops going to God. And so the question for us this morning is, how are you living in a way in which God's light is shining through you to the people around you? How are we living in such a way that the light of God is shining through us to the people around us? Sesame Street, I used to, when we used to watch it, it had this song, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? Right? In your neighborhood, they're the people you meet each day. You remember that song? How about those people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet each day. Do they know why you're the person that you are? Do they know who it is that you follow? Do they know why it is that you follow them? Do they know about your relationship with Christ? Have they experienced the light flowing through you? That's a challenging question for all of us. I have to ask myself the same question of the people who are around me. Of the guy who cuts me off in traffic. Of the person in the airport the other night who who told me to get out of his way. There are all sorts of situations where I have to ask myself, am I allowing the light of Christ to flow through me? And all of us need to ask ourselves that question. It's not just about doing good. It's about who gets the glory. And as Christians, we are to do good in a way in which God gets the glory. And I would ask you this morning to think about it. Where in your life are you living? in a way that God gets the glory. In just a few moments, we're going to hear from someone who is leading an important group in our area. I want us to hear from a a couple people 
who are doing good things in our, in our community. And one of them, her name is Stephanie Clark, and she used to be a pastor at Calvary Christian Center up in Linfield. And she now is running a ministry called Amira Ministries that we have um, some stuff in the fellowship hall that you can learn more about. So we're one church with two locations. Stephanie was going to share in Burlington and be here at 1045. She's not here. So we'll, we'll redirect and we'll hear from Stephanie in a minute when she gets here. The other thing that, that we have been talking about was we are a new community. We're a new community here in Belmont. So many of you have lived in, in this area for a long time. You're from Belmont. You're from Watertown. You've lived here for a long time. But we as a community, as a church, are new together. And we want to do what we can to find those in our community who are doing good things and to support them. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you would be willing to, to give a little bit to support the Belmont Food Pantry. Over the last year, I've gotten to know a little bit about the Belmont Food Pantry and heard more about what the Food Pantry is doing. Some of us that didn't grow up in Belmont, like myself, when we think of Belmont, we think of private schools and Belmont Hill, but that's not the entire community. And so there's a food pantry here that's very active in helping those who need a little bit of help. And so we said we will do what we can to support that food pantry. And I was very happy when Patty Mahalich, who is the director of the Belmont Food Pantry, said she would come and join us this morning. And I wanted to give her just a couple of minutes to talk to us about what the Belmont Food Pantry is doing and, and the great work that it is doing. And so would you welcome Patty as she comes to share for a couple minutes this morning? It's on, I think. I think so. I don't need it anyway, so I've got a projecting voice. First off, um, I just want to thank all of you for welcoming me into your home. I've been excited. I've been wanting to come by and see, to meet all of you. Um, I really appreciate everything that you're going to, uh, that you have done for the food pantry. Um, I myself, I see a lot in what Pastor Brian has said in, in his preaching today. And I started the food pantry in about 1991. It opened the doors in 1992. And I think over that past and the process that I went through and I, and today, and I think, how did I do that? It didn't make sense because I had to go through the selectmen. I had to get permission. I got a, a town site. I persevered, and I got it done. And then I realized that because Jesus was right with me. And he is always with me, has always been since I started this. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, I've never gotten paid as a complete volunteer thing that I've done my entire life. And there are moments where I'm working with the community and somebody asks me again something that I'm thinking, oh, how can I do this? How am I going to get through this? This is not, you know, what I can do. And then I just take a moment and I just breathe and I rethink about it and I get my guidance and I'm able to, to go to the next step. So there are a lot of challenges, and there have been over the years, but the plus side is being able to continue to help the community. Yes, Belmont is a, a town of you know, wealth and, and a lot of people who have a lot of means, but it isn't all. I've got a lot of elderly that live here in Belmont. Um, as you all know, those who are on fixed incomes know that even just 
what's happening right this year. You're not getting your cost of living increase from Social Security, and your Medicare is going to increase. So that's where the food pantry helps out, is that we just give um, non-perishable items, and we have processed where we're getting a lot of um, fresh produce and vegetables from the Boston area gleaners. So there's a lot of benefits that we've um, developed. And, you know, nobody, everybody's not just getting that high content of salt can. <laughs> They're getting the fresh stuff, too. And we also have a um, relationship with the um, um, Whole Foods. So we actually, actually have bread and stuff that we're able to um, give out. So... The latest, greatest thing that is happening over the last five years, we have had um, the Belmont Food Pantry Telethon. And it's hosted at the Belmont Media Center, which is your neighbor, which also happens to be where I work now, um, which is how Brian and I met. Um, So the telethon is December 12th. And what we're always looking for is musical talent. And um, you get your three minutes of fame on, on TV. <laughs> and it's a great um, place. It's a fun um, time to be. Um, December is also the Gifts of Hope fundraising. So that is through the newspaper. So again, there's no marketing that I have to do. It's just an article on the front page of the paper with bare shelves. There's no food. Come and help. And all of a sudden, uh, people are coming and helping. So at the moment, we are located behind the high school we do help um, and service Belmont residents only because um, there are food pantries in every single town, and those are the guidelines of every single community. So it is whatever funds that you're giving is going to your Belmont neighbors, and um, and we have a lot of them. I had was open yesterday, and I think I had I had 80 people come through my doors to sign up um, to receive food. And when then anyone who lived in Belmont last Monday was the um, local food drive, which we also collected 1,700 bags of food. So it balances out. And uh, your donation today will be a continuously help. And I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me here. One second. Well, we hope to be good neighbors in this community. And we're glad to be a part of the community. And so I asked a couple weeks ago if people would be willing to donate a little bit uh, towards the food pantry. And over the last couple of weeks, we were able to give $1,320 to the food pantry. So I hope that helps. It's great. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you so much to you for being a part of that. Uh, And... Patty will be here in the fellowship hall afterwards, so if you have questions, you can speak to her. The other person I want us to hear from this morning is Stephanie Clark, who left her ministry post in Linfield at Calvary Christian to do another great work. And Stephanie's going to come. Would you welcome her as she comes? Talk about how she's living out as the light of Christ. Morning. Sorry I wasn't able to hear the amazing sermon. But I just did the drive from Burlington, which was kind of fun. So, <laughs> um, as Pastor Brian said, my name is Stephanie Clark. I run a Christian nonprofit called Amira. Amira, that word means princess in Arabic. And what we do is we have a safe home for women that have been sex trafficked. So, everybody take a deep breath with me and get prepared to hear some hard things, okay? Um, We know that the average age for a woman to be sex trafficked here in New England is 14. 
And so what happens is this guy comes along and he looks really nice. He's got a great car and he preys upon a vulnerable community, whether that's foster care children or runaways or just simply a 14-year-old girl that is looking for a great guy, uh, which I can really relate to when I was 14. And he'll promise her the life. He'll promise her an incredible life. He'll promise her all these things and he will tell her how much he loves her. And then he will slowly but surely coerce her into doing horrible things for them. He'll get her hooked onto drugs so she becomes a drug addict. And he'll get her stuck into this life because there's so much shame because of the amount of things that she is doing every single day. And so she gets stuck. And Amira exists because right now, in all of New England, there are four safe homes for this work. And there's probably around 20,000 women being trafficked right now in New England. So we have eight beds for them right now. So Amir exists because we want to provide a space for these women, a safe space where they can come and they can have time to heal and they can have time just to relive uh, everything that they've been through and be offered services to be able to go through all of their trauma and then actually to receive real love for the very first time because we know that real love comes from Jesus Christ. And this is what we want to show them. And so that's what we are attempting to do. We have a safe home, and I'm really excited to tell you that hopefully by the end of this week, it's our goal to start doing an intake with women to actually open up the safe home for women to live there. We have three women right now that are on the wait list. And so we are hoping by the end of this week we'll be up and running uh, with all the volunteers that we need, with everything that we need to be able to take these three women into our home and give them a new start and a new life. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, And we have a table uh, out in the foyer as well, or your fellowship hall. There's awesome things there you can grab, you can take, you can sign up to receive a whole lot of information. Um, And I'm just really, really excited about this work. Uh, Last week, I had the honor and privilege of meeting a Nobel Peace Prize winner. This is like a whole new life for me now that I'm not a pastor. I meet all sorts of really cool people. Um, So last week I was hanging out with this man who he won a Nobel Peace Prize because of the work that he's been doing for the past 40 years over in India. He's actually freed 80,000 children, like physically freed 80,000 children from trafficking, from labor, uh, trafficking from enslavement, which is incredible. And he's talking and telling me and all these people that are meeting him how he has, you know, broken bones, he's been beaten, he's been, he, he has all these things that have been afflicted to him because of the work that he's doing. And he said, you know, I don't mind that I bear these things because this just shows me that evil is threatened by ordinary people. And that sunk in and it made me realize, yeah, I'm an ordinary person doing this work, but I have an extraordinary God that's behind me. And so that's why I know this will work. So thank you so much for being a part of this, and let's get to know each other a little bit more. I'm going to invite our worship team back up to the front, and as we, as we close, we prepare to close, I want us to take some time, and let's pray for Stephanie at the Amira House. We'll pray for Patty at the Belmont Food Pantry, and I also want each of us to consider, what is God calling us to? It may not mean that we start a big program, but all of us have a responsibility to the people that God has put around us. Our family, our neighbors, our classmates, 
All of us have a responsibility to shine his light in such a way that he gets the glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we thank you for the reminder today that our salvation is not based on anything that we do. God, we know ourselves. We are imperfect people. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who loves us enough that in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our sin, you would love us enough to send your son to die in our place. So God, we thank you for that truth. Thank you for that reality. And we trust you alone. But God, help us by your spirit to be able to live lives in which your light is reflected to those around us. All of us can think of the places where we need to work on this. But God, I pray that we wouldn't just trust ourselves. I pray that your spirit would fill us so that we might be able to live the life that you're calling us to live. Live in such a way that you get the glory in all that we do. Lord, we thank you for Stephanie and the work that's happening at the the Amira house. God, I pray that you would bless her and bless her team. Lord, we pray that you would provide for them everything that they need. God, I pray that you would provide abundantly. And we ask that they would be able to open up the doors quickly to be able to minister to these women and to these girls. God, we pray that you would bring freedom where there is bondage and freedom where there is enslavement and entrapment. God, we pray that you would do your work as only you can, that you would bring hope and that you would bring peace. And God, that you would empower Stephanie and the people that she's working with to bring your light into the darkness. And God, we thank you for Patty and for her team and all the work that they are doing. You call us to feed those who are hungry and provide for those who are in need. Thank you for the work that they are doing. Would you provide for them everything that they need in order to do the work that you have called them to do? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing one last song and worship?